Chapter 1 of Italian Life and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Italian Life and Legends by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. Chapter 1 Savonarola. The Piazza della Signoria is situated in the most central part of Florence, faced by the Grand Palazzo Vecchio, and enriched by marvels of art from the hands of Michelangelo, John of Bologna, Amanato, Oragna, etc., but is not on account of its felicitous locality or its world-renowned surroundings alone that this piazza is celebrated. It is consecrated by historic associations which might well stir with enthusiasm the most sluggish and insensible natures. Among the heart-rending human tragedies that have been enacted upon that gaily beautiful piazza was the cruel martyrdom of the pure-minded, truth-devoted Savonarola, and his two friends. For more than three centuries, that is, from the time of his death in 1498, until within about the last thirty years, this piazza, on the anniversary of that merciless sacrifice, was strewn with fresh violets, in grateful remembrance of the good he achieved and the wrong he endured. Mrs. Browning thus alludes to this touching custom, and the tardy recognition of his manifold benefactions to Florence. All the winters that have snowed cannot snow out the scent from stone and air of sincere man's virtues. It were foul to grudge Savonarola and the rest their violets, rather pay them quick and fresh. The emphasis of death makes manifest the eloquence of action in our flesh, and men who, living, were but dimly guessed, when once free their life's entangled mesh, show their full length in graves. It is singular that no complete and satisfactory biography of so remarkable a man as Savonarola existed until Professor Villari of Florence some four or five years ago published his Life and Times of Savonarola. This able author devoted ten years to incessant researches in careful preparation of his work, its vigorously impressive style, its minute details, and the authenticity of the information given cannot be too highly estimated. About a year after Signor Villari's book was published, Romola, appeared. Savonarola is made one of the heroes of that brilliant novel. Girolamo Savonarola was born at Ferrara on the 21st of September, 1452. His youth was meditative, studious, and uneventful until he reached his 20th year, at that time a member of the ancient Strozzi family, who had been banished from Florence, resided at Ferrara, at the neighborhood of Savonarola's paternal home, 
the illustrious florentine had a beautiful but illegitimate daughter the youthful savonarola was kindly received by the strozzi and being thrown in contact with the fair maiden became deeply enamoured the cordiality of her greetings and the pleasure she appeared to take in his visits led savonarola into a serious error not for a moment doubting that she reciprocated his attachment he confidently solicited her hand her haughty reply at once amazed and crushed him she answered proudly that a strozzi could not wed a savonarola without remonstrance or reproach savonarola withdrew but from time to time he became subject to fits of deep melancholy this was his first affection and we may judge of its strength by its constancy for it was his last while his mind was still in a very dejected state he was strongly impressed by the preaching of a dominican friar who visited ferrara savonarola's thoughts soon turned wholly away from the world at the age of twenty-three he visited bologna and entered the convent of saint dominique he stated that the gross corruption of the age was the cause of his retirement his monastic life was characterized by great devoutness the rude simplicity of his habits and the exalted state of his mind he hardly ate enough to support nature his bed was of wicker work with a sack of straw and a blanket he had frequent trances and often gave vent to his thoughts and emotions in poetry when war threatened ferrara the superior of the convent sought a less uncertain shelter for some of the brotherhood savonarola was sent to florence there he entered the convent of saint mark in which he afterward effected reforms destined to become so important a feature in secular as well as ecclesiastical history at this period lorenzo the magnificent reigned in all his superb licentiousness over florence its inhabitants nobles and populace rich and poor were alike immersed in a sea of profligate gaiety fetes dances tournaments unchaste orgies drunken revels and lower depravities wholly engrossed the public mind lorenzo was a patron of the fine arts a man of letters an author and a man of no mean gift of poetry yet he could debase himself by composing obscene ballads to be sung during carnivals by young noblemen who dressed as devils ran shouting yelling and singing through the streets villari declares that these ballads are so revoltingly indecent that in the present day they would not be tolerated by the most depraved taste savonarola was horror-stricken by the profane boldness of the unscrupulous potentate who only employed his rich mental attributes and the power conferred by his princely office to debase or oppress his subjects holy promptings clamoured incessantly within the pious friar's spirit and urged him to rise up and counteract lorenzo's baneful influence it was one of savonarola's most striking characteristics that whenever he saw there was good work to be done he always felt 
that he was the man called to do it and he had perfect faith in his own strength to accomplish any task to which he set his hand this determination to wage war against the unbridled license which ran riot in florence was confirmed by a remarkable vision the heavens seemed to open to him the future calamities of the church were vividly represented and he heard a voice which commanded him to declare to the people the misfortunes with which they were menaced up to this period savonarola's sermons had attracted little attention but he now electrified his hearers by boldly denouncing lorenzo and the depravities of which he was the unblushing instigator this sermon caused five of the principal citizens of florence to visit savonarola and bid him beware savonarola told them he was the mouthpiece of the lord which man could not silence they threatened him with banishment stirred by a prophetic spirit he answered i am a stranger and lorenzo is not only a citizen but the first of citizens yet it is i who will remain and he who shall leave the city his visions now became more and more frequent and more absorbing they invariably formed the subject of his sermons at times he resolved not to preach what had been revealed to him during these visions but when he entered the pulpit he found himself powerless to resist his spiritual promptings his own volition had no command over his utterances sometimes while preaching he fell into a state of trance or ecstasy multitudes flocked to hear him and were stirred to remorse by his bold denunciations of crime his voice had remarkable power and historians dwell upon its tones of thunder but it also had a pleading pathos and the softness which corresponded to his merciful nature he exerted a magnetic influence over his hearers which melted to devotion even those who came to scoff villari says it would be impossible to give an idea of the force of his expressions of the vividness of his descriptions of the works of his imagination of the confidence of his faith that his visions came from heaven he repeated the words he had heard pronounced by invisible beings his deep and solemn voice was re-echoed from the vaulted roofs of the temple it descended like a divine manifestation on the people who were roused to a state of ecstasy and who trembled with terror wonder and delight in 1490 he was chosen prior of the convent of st mark it was customary for a prior upon his election to pay homage to lorenzo the magnificent savonarola refused to comply with this observance he said that his election came from god alone and that to him alone he rendered obeisance lorenzo tried to conciliate with him he went to mass at st mark's and then walked in the gardens of the convent savonarola quietly pursued his studies and the magnificent waited in vain to be joined by the humble friar when lorenzo was stricken with a mortal illness and his last hours approached he desired to see savonarola and to receive absolution at his hands 
I know no honest friar but him, was the dying magnate's exclamation. Savonarola promptly obeyed the summons. Lorenzo told him that there was three especial sins which he wished to confess. The sacking of Volterra, the money pillaged at the Monte della Fancula, which had caused so many deaths, and the bloodshed after the conspiracy of the Pazzi. Savonarola bade him restore all he had unjustly taken, or order his sons to restore it, and told him that he must have a lively faith in the mercy of God. Lorenzo affirmed that he had that faith, and reluctantly promised to return whatever he had taken unlawfully. Then Savonarola impressively declared to him that there was one thing more to be done. You must restore liberty to the people of Florence. Lorenzo, with one last effort, raised himself in his bed and scornfully turned his back without speaking. Savonarola left him, and the Magnificent died a prey to the most cruel mental torture. 8th of April, 1492. Mrs. Browning makes mention of this incident in her Casa Guidi Windows. Who also by a princely deathbed cried, Loose Florence, or God will not loose thy soul while the Magnificent fell back and died beneath the star-looks shooting from the cowl, which turned to wormwood bitterness the wide, deep sea of his ambitions. In that year, Savonarola had a dream which he believed to be a divine revelation. He saw in the sky a hand holding a drawn sword. Upon the sword was written, the sword of the Lord on the earth, and speedily. Suddenly the sword turned toward the earth, the air became dark, showers of swords and arrows, and fire descended, and fearful thunders were heard, while the whole earth became a prey to wars, famines, and pestilences. This vision was afterwards represented by a large number of engravings and upon numerous medals. After Savonarola became prior, he commenced his reforms in the convent of St. Mark. He fitted the monks to live by their own labor, formed schools in which they were taught painting, sculpture, architecture, and the art of copying and illuminating manuscripts. He made the three especial objects of study, theology, morals, and the Holy Scriptures, that the latter might be better comprehended. The brethren were instructed in Greek, Hebrew, and the Oriental languages. Savonarola predicted the coming of the French army, of a new Cyrus, who would traverse Italy as a conqueror, without meeting any resistance or breaking a single lance. Italy was at that time wholly unprotected, when the news suddenly arrived that French troops were crossing the Alps, she had no national armies and no friendly foreign forces. The terrified Florentines rushed to Savonarola, 
by whom the coming of the foe had been predicted, and implored his aid and counsel. Crowds thronged in the streets in a state of wild disorder. Soon the popular fury turned against Piero de' Medici, who had succeeded his father Lorenzo, and had surpassed him in the magnitude of his crimes, and against the nobles and wealthy citizens. Not only were the houses in danger of being sacked and burned, but their lives were in jeopardy. At this crisis, Savonarola mounted the pulpit of the Duomo. The church was crammed with people, rudely armed to defend themselves against the invaders. Savonarola commenced his discourse with these words, Behold, the sword has descended, the scourges have commenced, the prophecies are being fulfilled. So irresistible was his eloquence that the passions of the multitude were calmed, and no violence was committed that day. Historians ascribe this fact entirely to the ascendancy which he had acquired over the minds of the people. At the meeting of the Signoria, who assembled to discuss the steps to be taken, Piero de' Medici was pronounced incapable of ruling the Republic, and it was resolved that the ambassadors should be sent to the French King Charles, and that Savonarola should accompany them. The chosen ambassadors set out the next day in their splendid equipages. Savonarola followed on foot. The ambassadors were coldly received by the king, who refused to treat with them. Then Savonarola entered the French camp alone, and stood before the king as he sat among his generals. The friar addressed the sovereign in a fearless tone and told him that the Lord had sent him to deliver Italy from her afflictions, and that if he forgot the work of the Lord, another hand would be selected for its accomplishment. The king listened with profound respect, and gave Savonarola the assurance of his friendly intentions. Meantime, Piero de' Medici, after a vain attempt to resist by force of arms, fled from Florence. After much difficulty and procrastination, King Charles signed a treaty with the Florentines, but delayed his departure from Florence. His soldiers filled the city, creating daily scenes of riot and confusion. Robberies and murders were frequent. The citizens were defenseless and in despair. Still, the king could not be persuaded to leave. Once more, Savonarola was called upon to appear before the king. The result of this interview was a speedy withdrawal of Charles and his army, but not until his retainers had sacked the splendid palace which had been appropriated to his use. Through this barefaced robbery, a large portion of the valuable collections of the Medici passed into the hands of the French. The Florentines now turned more confidently than ever to Savonarola. They owed their freedom to him. His counsels alone could be trusted. His prophecies had been fulfilled. He alone had been able to influence the king and relieve Florence from the heavy incubus of the royal presence. Villari says, The man, therefore, who was destined to save the people of Florence was Friar Gialarmo Savonarola. The hour had struck when he was to enter public life.
events had carried him forward irresistibly in that direction notwithstanding the firmness with which he had hitherto held back from the pulpit of the duomo savonarola told his hearers boldly that the reform in florence must begin with things spiritual that the people must purify their minds renounce their evil courses and abstain from all profligacy and profanity and thus they might fit themselves to construct a new government he set forth that the groundwork of that government ought to be that no individual should have any benefit but what is general and the people alone must have the power of choosing the magistrates and of approving the laws speaking of the successful formation of this new government planned by savonarola villari says and all this occurred in a brief space of time without a sword having been drawn without a drop of blood having been shed without a single civil riot and that too in florence the city of tumults but the greatest marvel of all was that the power exercised by a single man and he a simple friar directing the work from his pulpit and bringing it to a happy conclusion an instance unexampled in history of the omnipotence of the human will and of persuasive eloquence he was never to be seen at meetings in the piazza nor at sittings of the signoria but he became the very soul of the whole people and the chief author of all the laws by which the new government was constituted villari thus describes the total change which took place in the whole city the women gave up their rich ornaments dressed with simplicity and walked demurely the young men became as if by enchantment modest and religious instead of carnival songs religious hymns were chanted during the hours of midday rest the tradesmen were seen seated in their shops reading the bible or some work of the friar habits of prayers were resumed the churches were well attended and alms were freely given but the most wonderful thing of all was to find bankers and merchants refunding from scruples of conscience sums of money amounting sometimes to thousands of florins which they had unrighteously acquired but this state of unwanted and happy quietude was of brief duration the unstable and unprincipled charles the eighth broke faith with the florentines and violated every promise he had given the city was in great danger for piero de medici was making mighty efforts to return and resume his despotic sway he had obtained favor of the french king and was even now approaching the city in his company to rescue the republic from peril so imminent savonarola was for the third time sent to the king the sovereign and the friar met at poggibonsi again savonarola warned the king that his perfidy would draw down divine retribution awed by that menace charles once more gave solemn pledges which however were never redeemed 
Savonarola, with all the potency of his powerful rhetoric, opposed the return of the Medici and the re-establishment of despotism. Piero de' Medici was eventually driven back and took refuge in Rome. On the death of Pope Innocent VIII, Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia, father of the infamous Lucretia Borgia, became Pope Alexander VI. Crime, in its lowest, widest, blackest form, sat unveiled and triumphant on the papal throne. Who can wonder that Pope Borgia was Savonarola's bitterest enemy? Savonarola had addressed him a respectful yet daring letter of remonstrance, setting forth the injuries done to the church by the immoral life of her popes. A man like Borgia was not likely to pardon such a rebuke. In 1495, the Pope invited Savonarola to Rome, but his friends, who had learned that Borgia favored a conspiracy against the upright friar, entreated him not to obey the summons. They assured him it was only a snare laid for his imprisonment or assassination. Fortunately, a severe internal malady, which rendered traveling impossible, afforded him a legitimate excuse for delay. Already his life had been several times attempted. Even in the city, he could not venture forth without an armed escort. Savonarola's excuses were seemingly accepted by the Pope, but before long the friar was again commanded, and more peremptorily than before, to hasten to Rome, and was suspended from preaching. Savonarola refused to leave Florence, but he was silenced. Fra Domenico, his zealous and devoted friend, preached in his stead and promulgated his doctrines, but they lacked the influence of Savonarola's personal presence and overwhelming eloquence. Savonarola's active mind and his love of usefulness compelled him to engage in good works which might be effected out of the pulpit the carnival of 1496 was approaching, and the obscene orgies which the Medici had inaugurated were still in vogue. Even the children took a prominent part in festivities at which all decency was ignored. One of the favorite amusements was to light bonfires in the Piazza del Signoria and dance around them, singing lascivious ballads, and to conclude by a game of throwing stones. This brutal game invariably maimed and often killed people who were passing in the streets. Savonarola undertook what he modestly called the children's reform. He gave a new direction to their amusements and endeavored to substitute religious for carnival or bacchanalian ceremonies. The children were in the habit of forming themselves into bands of extempore robbers and taking possession of much-frequented localities to bar the passage of everyone who walked that way until the contents of his purse had been distributed among them. The money thus forcibly obtained was squandered in festivities and revelry. Savonarola had small altars set up in the localities where the children were accustomed to congregate, and he told them they might collect alms to distribute among the poor, 
but they should take no money by force and waste none in carousing he allowed them to sing as before but taught them hymns some of his own composition which they were to substitute for their profane and disgusting medici ballads he instructed the good friar domenico to collect the children and allow them the pleasurable excitement of choosing from amongst themselves a leader who was presented to the signoria and who made known to that body the object of the reform the children were highly delighted at their own importance and entered into the spirit of the good work with great zeal the murderous game of the stones was for the first time given up the children collected three hundred ducats which were given to the poor savonarola's friends now made such earnest appeals to pope borgia that he granted the friar permission to preach during lent the pope either to conciliate savonarola or because he feared him or to lay another snare offered him a cardinal's hat on the condition that he would change the style of language he had been accustomed to use in his sermons savonarola quietly refused the conditions and the new dignity during his lent preachings the multitudes which flocked to hear him were so great that a lofty amphitheatre rising to the first row of windows was erected inside the duomo this amphitheatre had seventeen small steps on which the children were seated savonarola often addressed them for to him he looked to the future generations of florence the attempts upon his life became so open that he had to be conducted to the duomo by armed friends they re-escorted him to the convent without venturing to leave him for a moment unsurrounded these lent discourses were chronicled as the most bold and the most impressive which he ever delivered the historian says his sermons are to the florentine history of this period what the orations of demosthenes are to that of athens and cicero to that of rome it often happened that the princes of italy wrote to savonarola to remonstrate with him because they imagined that they were the persons alluded to in his sermons savonarola was again ordered by the pope to abstain from all preaching in public or in private and commanded to acknowledge the authority of the vicar-general of the lombard congregation and to proceed to whatever place he appointed pope borgia knew that if savonarola were to leave the tuscan territory he would immediately power savonarola threw the plot and at once made up his mind not to obey but he sent a conciliatory answer to the pope giving his reasons the pope once more pretended to be satisfied and resorted to cajolery still however commanding savonarola to abstain from preaching at this period florence was in a state of great misery she was threatened with famine and the plague had broken out and was making daily progress the people were almost starving and in despair without any prospect of succor as usual they turned to savonarola for comfort and counsel the signoria implored him to break the silence wrongfully imposed by the pope savonarola greatly moved by the deplorable state of the city 
yielded to the solicitation of the chief magistrates and returned without permission to the pulpit so long as the florentines could hear his voice they gained courage to face any calamity it was a singular coincidence that savonarola had hardly preached his sermon of consolation conjuring his hearers to give up their vices and lead good lives that they might receive the blessings of heaven when the long hoped-for supply of men and of wheat arrived from marseilles all florence was frantic with joy and the people's confidence in savonarola was redoubled by this incident the bells rang out a joyful peal artillery was discharged and thanksgivings were offered up in all the churches when the carnival season of another year fourteen ninety seven approached the arabiati which was the party violently opposed to savonarola again made preparations for the scandalous feast of the medici and for the game of stones which savonarola had prevented on the previous years but savonarola aided by his well-tried friend fra domenico invented a ceremony which would better occupy the hands and minds of the little people this was the making of a bonfire of vanities the children under the direction of their young leader were instructed to march through the city in white robes with olive crowns on their heads and knock at every door to gather voluntary contributions for the bonfire they were to ask for objects which came under the head of vanities or the anathema these were obscene pictures portraits of females of bad repute immodest or immoral books carnival mask and dress artificial accessories of the toilettes tapestries with unchaste designs cards dice gaming boards etc on receiving the anathema the children repeated a prayer taught to them by savonarola and went on their way on the last day of the carnival the objects were carried by the juvenile reformers to the piazza della signoria the children marched in solemn procession bearing their unhallowed burdens before them was borne a statue of the infant savior the exquisite work of donatelli supported by four angels jesus pointed with the left hand to a crown of thorns the right hand was stretched out in an act of blessing the people a dense crowd holding red crosses and olive branches and singing hymns accompanied the children on the piazza an octangular pyramid had been formed sixty feet in height and two hundred and forty feet in circumference at its base it was divided into fifteen stages and on these the vanities were heaped the interior of the pyramid was filled with combustible materials and on the top was a monstrous image representing the carnival while the children sang denouncing carnival vices the pile was set on fire the great bell of the palazzo vecchio was tolled and the multitude shouted for joy savonarola has been severely reprehended by the writers of after times because it is supposed that many valuable manuscripts and rare books and even works of art were destroyed in that bonfire 
but there is no proof that such was the case and savonarola's love and admiration for the fine arts cannot be questioned the most eminent artists of the age were his devoted friends michelangelo was constantly seen in the duomo when savonarola preached and continued to read his sermons with delight even in old age in the second part will be traced the fall of savonarola from his wonderful moral autocracy of florence until he was burned at the stake in the public square of the city End of chapter one part one